the word of our Lord from the prophet Isaiah. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and Uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we thank you for your great zeal for us, your people. We thank you for your holy word. We pray that you administer to our hearts where we are in the midst of all that life holds for us. We pray that you administer into our darkness, bringing the light of Christ into it. And we pray in His name. Amen. It's interesting that fear of the dark is a common experience. As a kid, I often found myself afraid of the dark. Um, in fact, I, I even remember Christmas Eve's lying asleep, filled, yes, with excitement for what the next morning's festivities would hold, but filled also with fear for what might lurk in the darkness. There's that kind of tearing that's happening in the, in the heart of a little boy who's anticipating Christmas presents on Christmas Day and yet fearful of the dark. The problem with darkness is not just the darkness itself. It's more than that. It's the feeling of being alone, facing the dark. And then there are these thoughts. But what if I'm not alone in the darkness? What if there's something else out there? What was that sound? Or worse, what if I'm not alone in here? When I was a boy at Riverside Independent Methodist Church in Jackson, Mississippi, we had this big, big, beautiful building. Our sanctuary would seat like 750, and you had a balcony upstairs that would seat another 250. I mean, it was a big, big building, and we were a small, dying church at the time. Um, but one of the things about this big, beautiful brick building with incredible architecture all throughout it one of the things about it is that big old building would get awfully dark at night 
And I had the, the privilege and joy of being a kid in a family that had some different leadership roles and whatnot. And so that meant we were often up there at church, particularly on Sunday evenings after service, late at night, locking things up and that sort of stuff. And, I, and you know, it, it was funny. I would always get tasked with something that meant I had to go off alone. And I would go off and I'd start turning off lights maybe down this hallway and checking to make sure bathroom toilets were flushed and lights were off there. And, and as you linger in the building a little bit longer, it gets darker and darker. And I remember in church being terrified of the dark. And the thing is, is even if you turn on a light in this big old dark building, you know, that'd give you a moment of reprieve from the darkness. But then you realize the light kind of reaches only so far. And then it's dark again out there. And there's that feeling of fear and worry and anxiety about being in the dark. Parents, you can, you know, you can thank me later for all that I'm stirring up for the coming nights. You know, there's something, there's, there, there actually is a, a, uh, a theological significance about the architecture of old church buildings, particularly like cathedrals. You think about the cathedrals, the historic ones, Notre Dame and whatnot, uh, throughout, throughout Europe. The theological significance is that it is, it's, it's built to be a, a place that gets really dark, but yet there's light, particularly up above. It's intended to have kind of a behavioral embodied theological activity that's being invoked by the building itself. That is to direct your eyes upward and to direct as your eyes are being directed upward to direct your heart upward. It's intended to make you feel small so that you would look beyond yourself. The problem with human history is expressed here in Isaiah 9 in the image of darkness. Woven throughout these indictments of Israel's predicament because Israel finds itself facing judgment, finds itself encountering the Lord Almighty in their midst. And that can be a fearful thing. Woven throughout these indictments in these early chapters of Israel, uh, of Isaiah, about Israel's predicament are a refrain of promised healing and restoration. What is diseased can be healed. What is broken can be fixed. What is lost can be restored. And it's failure to trust the living God, the creator of all things, that plunges us into darkness. It always has and it always will. Failure to trust Yahweh brings darkness. But think about the nature and extent of darkness. You, of course, are thinking of 
darkness itself, but you're probably also thinking of how darkness is a metaphor for other things. Think of moral darkness, mental darkness, ignorance. There's relational darkness, which brings about distance and isolation. Even cultural darkness. And Israel had its fair share of cultural darkness. And we, living in the modern West, we have our fair share of cultural and moral darkness. But there's also political darkness. Isaiah promises a day where the harvest will be plenty and where people rejoice, will rejoice as if the harvest is here, where there will be also peace and a ceasing of warring. He promises a day where even the government itself will be put back together rightly and will rest upon the shoulders of one who is coming and one who is to be born. And so you've got all of these types of darknesses, all these different categories where the nature of darkness is being expressed, whether it's in morality or mentality, relationality, cultural life, political life, all of those types of darknesses are going to be dealt with by the God who promises to deal with them. But the interesting thing about darkness, human darkness, the darkness of the human experience, is that darkness is not the end of the story. You know, we think of the end of a story, and what do we think? We think... The lights are dropped and the curtain is closed and that's it. We think of darkness as kind of the end. It's all wrapped up. But in the story of Scripture, the end is not darkness. In fact, the end is light everywhere. Everything, everything being thrown open. Healing and restoration and joy and gladness and peace and all of that is what's promised as the end of the story. Darkness is not the end of the story. It is only the second part of the opening act. The God who created all things finds His creation spiraling into darkness because of, again, mistrust it's always mistrust that plunges us into the darkness when you encounter this passage most of us are quite familiar with it in fact when we hear it we might even think of Handel's Messiah and we think, oh, I'm, this is a lovely passage. I know this passage. It's a, it's a Christmas passage. It's an Advent passage. The Christ is coming. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And even the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called. And you know the whole thing. But be honest, the beginning of this passage begins kind of strange and weird. What's all this talk of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee of 
the Gentiles, your Bible might read, the ESV translates it, Galilee of the nations, because that's who the Gentiles are. The nations out there, non-Israel. What's all this Galilee of the nations business? The place beyond the Jordan. Well, it, it is the place of Israel's lack of trust. Because Isaiah is a prophet in the south, Judea, and it is Judea that is being pushed and bullied by Israel in the north and beyond them, Syria, because of the big, bad Assyria, which is dominating the world and has become the world power. So Israel and Syria have pacted together. They have joined forces to try to withstand against the Assyrians. And now here they are bullying Judah to join them. And Isaiah the prophet, the Lord Yahweh through Isaiah the prophet, tells Judah, do not put your trust there. Do not, he'll later say, do not even run down to Egypt thinking that that former world power is where your trust can be put. Your trust must only be in me. In fact, it's in chapter 7 that Isaiah the prophet says to Ahaz, ask the Lord for a sign that he can be trusted. And Ahaz, he feigns righteousness, says, far be it for me to challenge the Lord and Dare him to give me a sign. But it's the Lord who said, give, ask me any sign, as big as you want, as little as you want, as far away as you want, as close as you want. You just name the sign and I'll, and I'll give it. And Ahaz says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to test the Lord by asking for a sign. And it's then that Isaiah says, fine, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us that's our sign of hope God in our midst in the midst of the darkness a light shines in the midst of all of the darkness that the world has ever known all the darkness that we find within ourselves all the darkness that we find outside of ourselves all of that that we fear is brought to bear before the light of the world, a light shining in the darkness. And it's not, notice, it's not just the light, like in some pantheistic or, or, or dualistic type way, just the light, it is a light, a particular light light is shining because a particular child will be born. A particular son is being given. One who is unique. Not just some universal cosmic Christ, but the Christ Himself. The babe of Bethlehem. Jesus of Nazareth up there in Galilee. It's up there in the place of mistrust. 
in the place where Israel did not trust Yahweh, where Judah did not put their faith in the God who created them and could redeem them. It is there that the Messiah's ministry will mostly take place. We think of Jesus and his ministry as happening in Jerusalem because that's where the cross was. And yes, that's where he turned over the temple tables. It's there that he challenged and rebuked the priests. But the majority of his ministry was up in the wilderness. It was up beyond the Jordan. It was up in the little towns and villages scattered throughout Galilee. It's there that he showed himself to be the eternal God, the mighty one who walks on water. It was there that he fed the 5,000. It's there that he restored sight to the blind. It's there that he did all of those miraculous things. The place of mistrust. It is that into which Christ will minister and proclaim the good news of God's inbreaking kingdom. But darkness has a way of filling us with fear. It fills us with suspicion. It fills us with a desire for self-protection, for self-provision. We've got to take care of ourselves. It's that, that fear that was preying upon Eve. Wait a minute, there's something that God's holding out against me? There's something I'm missing out on. I, I've got to take it for myself. But the promises of God are here expressed in Isaiah 9 in the promise of a particular light shining in our darkness dawning in the dark. And all throughout Isaiah's early chapters, he's been promising good things that are to come. He has is, he is invoked Mount Zion as what is to be the highest mountain. It'll be on Zion that all the nations of the world will descend to serve the God of Israel. This light is the realized hope of Israel. It is the promise of universal peace and plenty for all of the world through Israel. It is this light in the midst of our darkness who is to be our everlasting joy. But think about how God makes this promise. How God promises to realize this light coming. It is the zeal of the Lord of hosts who will do this. The zeal, the passionate energy of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, because he cares so much, he will do this. Sounds an awful lot like love. 
The God who made us is the God who cares so much for us that He will right all wrongs. And that love brings about presence. He is Emmanuel, God with us. You find Emmanuel spoken of, yes, in chapter 7, but 8 and elsewhere in Isaiah's prophecy. And in, indeed, Emmanuel is kind of the motif of Advent and Christmas. God in our midst. It is in Advent that we declare He is coming. Not in some spiritualized sense, but in a real, tangible sense. He is coming. And He is also the one who has come. He is the one who has broken into our darkness because of His great love. This is also the undergirding principle of Genesis, Revelation, and everything in between. The God who walked into the garden in the cool of the day is the God who says, I make all things new. And He is the God who at the end of our days will say, I wipe away every tear and every bad thing. And He promises, I will be with you. That's the thing about love. Love is present. Love draws near. But love also makes room for presence. It makes room for us to draw near. The one who makes promises is the one who always keeps his promises. But for now, we live in the time as Isaiah did, where the darkness and the light are kind of woven together. This problem that Israel has of their mistrust and the promise of God to be faithful to them despite their mistrust. They're woven together in Isaiah's prophecy. And so now in our days are darkness and light woven together. We look all around us and we see darkness. We see moral darkness. We see political darkness. We see cultural darkness. But we see also the darkness of disease and the darkness of death. And we see the darkness of broken marriages. And we see the darkness of, of brokenness everywhere we look. And yet there's light. Amen. There's light, Bill, every time you hear a bell ringing outside of a grocery store, somebody's doing something. There's light every time you see somebody calling to say, hey, we're going to give more to that ministry. Somebody is doing something to bring light. This coming Wednesday is the winter solstice. It's the shortest day of the year. Another way to put it, Put it, it's the longest night of the year. There's a lot of darkness. There's a song that uh, Aiden really likes called Winter Solstice by a band that he also really likes. And we got him for his birthday a, a sweatshirt that has Winter Solstice on it. And he's been holding out, waiting to wear it Wednesday. 
But that winter solstice, it reminds us, yes, of the darkness. It reminds us of the coldness. It reminds us of the emptiness. But there's still some hours of light in it. So as we continue to make our way through the Advent season, a season filled with a lot of darkness, season filled with a lot of cold, season filled with a lot of emptiness and memories of what once was and hopes for what is to come, there's still light shining. There's still lights on a tree. There's still lights as you pass through neighborhoods. And the God who himself is the light of the world. In him is light and there is no darkness at all. He calls us to bear light. He calls us to take light, to be light, to reflect his light. And he makes promises to us. Promises that are far bigger than our problems. Because that's the thing about light. And that's the thing about darkness. You light a light in darkness. It doesn't matter how small the light is. The darkness cannot comprehend it. It cannot contain it. It runs away. And so this week, as we make our way toward Christmas Day, and as we make our way toward all the joy and celebration and singing that we associate with that holy day. I want to encourage you, find little ways in the middle of all the busyness. We are all so, so busy. In the middle of all that, find small ways in which you can take the light, in which you can be the light, in which you can reflect this light who shines in the darkness. Show people what it is to trust the one who is our light. Show people what it is to trust the one who makes promises and keeps promises. Because in our darkness, a light shines. Father, we thank you for the promises that you make to us as your people. We thank you for how much you love us, how you step yourself into our world, into our darkness, how you make promises to us like the name Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be true to that light to be faithful to the light of Christ, to bear it as we're enabled by your spirit to do so. We pray that you would send us into the lives of people who are struggling to find a bit of light, a bit of hope, a bit of peace, a bit of joy, a bit of real love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.